Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the psychology of logistics sales with Dan Deegan. How's it going there, Dan? It's going great, Joe. How are you, my friend? I just want to say thank you so much for having me. I've uh, been a huge fan of your podcast for a long (laughs) time, and it's one of those things where, you know, when you write a goal down and it actually comes true, that's actually what the feeling is inside of me. So I appreciate it. Well, I thank you very much. I was wondering who listened to this podcast. (laughs) Anyway, I've had a great time getting to know Dan. We have friends in common, like Nicole Glenn. You meant we were just talking, and he mentioned Nicole Glenn, and then uh, we started to realize we know a lot of people. But really, have enjoyed getting to know you over the last few days, and I'm looking forward to this podcast. So, before we get started here, Dan, please introduce yourself and your company. Hey, everybody, Dan Deegan. I'm the author of the Four Pillars of Transportation and founder of High Performance. Logistics sales. Very briefly, because I know this podcast is not about me at all, my mission is to help 10,000 sales reps generate a million dollars GP in under 11 months. Very nice, very nice. So, where are you and your company based? So, we're based out of Ontario, Canada. Very nice. Now, I take it you work with all of us on the other side of the border. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yeah, we're actually blessed. We have students and people that we help bring to new levels as far as Nigeria. <laughs> and, yeah. and I always feel like when I talk to people in Ontario that I think I know more people in Ontario than I know like in Ohio or Indiana just because just the, the nature of being in Michigan and being over yes. the border. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. Anyway, so who do you serve over there with your company? So what we do is we serve both salespeople and corporations. We found, Joe, and you and I have had a couple of conversations about this over the last couple of days. There's a huge gap in that education piece for salespeople. And I'm very excited today to talk about what we're going to talk about because I think it's going to change a lot of people's perspectives and in turn help them with a different structure in their sales process, which I think is going to be really deliver some huge results for them. Excellent, excellent. And maybe they can say process like you. Yeah. <laughs> Did I, I really a, say it differently? <laughs> oh, yeah. So I worked in automotive for many years, and there's always a million Canadians in Detroit area uh, automotive. And I remember being in meetings, and all the Canadians would say process, and then all the um, Americans would say, or <laughs> people in the U.S. would say, it's process. <laughs> and, they'd say, and then ah, they would say, yes. so is Wayne Gretzky a pro or pra? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I think, all right, yeah, okay, so it probably is probably process. <laughs> well, I'd like if you could, because I've, I've heard from a lot of people over this course of this podcast, just write down every time I say A, and then we can maybe come back to that at the end. Because I remember I was in New Jersey playing golf with a couple of customers. We were on like the fifth hole, and he says to me, he goes, do you realize how many times you've said A in this conversation? I go, no, I haven't. He goes, yeah, you have. I'm like, I don't even realize it. So because I don't hear it, you know. <laughs> I didn't. Actually, I didn't notice you saying A. Perfect. But, uh, that means I've corrected it. <laughs> so anyway, Dan, give us a little bit of background about you. Where did you grow up? And give us some career highlights. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up here. Well, uh, I ended up here probably like most people that have been in the industry for 10 or 15 years. I kind of fell into it. You know, I grew up in Quebec in the West Island, which is a suburb of Montreal. I'm a grade nine dropout. 
And when I was 17 years old, I was just hitting unemployment. My job before that was working uh, buffing pewter keychains at on the graveyard shift. Fancy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was totally, I mean, total career highlight, right? And so I actually was in a bar on the West Island and I just finished my third bodybuilding competition. And in the process of that Thursday evening, ran out of money. You know, unemployment don't quite make as much as when you're in a job. And even when you're in a job working graveyard shift, buffering pewter keychains, you still don't make a lot of money. So just so happened, I kind of gleaned across the bar and I saw a gentleman that I knew worked out, went up to him within about three minutes, sold him my weight set that I had at home. The owner of a major logistics company was behind me and kind of said, you need to come work for me. I was like, (laughs) well, what is this whole logistics thing? So, you know, complete transparency, Joe, I entertained him for about an hour and a half because he kept buying me drinks. I I, I was just like, yeah, okay, sure. You know, woke up in the morning and it's the typical, you know, you wake up with his business card and I'm like, who is this? (laughs) What is logistics? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, no clue. I mean, you know, of course you see trucks on the road. You're like, how many wheels do they have? What is a whole, you know, when you don't understand logistics, you have no idea. Yeah, how everything we see, touch and feel gets to where it needs to go. Right. So kind of went back. It's interesting because I went back to the bar the next week, never called him. And the second I walked in, he was actually waiting for me. And he says, like, listen, before you have one drink, we need to talk. And I was like, who are you? And he says, I'm da 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 da. And that's when I ding, 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 the business card picture flashed back in my head. And I'm like, right. so we had the conversation, walked into the office on Friday and literally started my logistics career. I mean, completely fell into it. Some people would say, right place, right time. I say, this gentleman saw something in me I didn't see in myself. And for that, I'll always be grateful to him, no matter what happens in life. Nice, nice. So that was a logistic company in Montreal? Yes. So tell us a little, how long were you there? And then what was your next jobs after that? So I was there for just close to nine years, about eight, you know, if, if I was 10 years old, I'd say eight and three quarter years. So nine years I was there. I was one of the first brokers to ever get into Dell computer. This is before UPS supply chain solutions handled their business or pure later. And in it, I've always very early in my career, I focused on relationships with suppliers because I realized I could be the best salesperson on the planet if I didn't have quality people to back up my image, credibility, and brand in my name. I was dead in the water. And it's just a vicious spinning of wheels, not getting anywhere. So I flew to Toronto, or I drove to Toronto, sorry, to play golf with the supplier, the the partner that I had, the asset partner that I had on the Dell business. And they made me a job offer. And it's interesting because, you know, people say music moves you. On my way home, I was listening to Survivor's Eye of the Tiger. That did, and that, through that, that dates uh, through a, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. You know, through a bunch of different situations at the company I was working for in Quebec, I started really second guessing myself and saying, like, is this really what I want to do the rest of my life? And the one line in the song where it says you trade your passion for glory, I realized I was trading my passion for my development, for me helping people to become that next level person that I wanted to become for money. And so I got back Thursday night, quit my job on Friday, packed up the puppy, moved to Toronto for Monday. And you know what, Joe, I'll just add this. It was the best move I ever made in my life. I met my soulmate, the love of my life, a beautiful family now and everything that wouldn't have been possible had I not listened to that song. Right. So when did you start your company and why did you start your company? What hole did you see in the market? 
Oh, wow. So I started my company actually six months before COVID hit, <laughs> which, you know, come out of the gate. I came out of the gate strong, Joe. We were golden. Yeah, I, you guys are really in, locked. You guys are locked down hard in Canada. It's not the it, same yeah, as the U.S. Yeah. We don't no, follow I mean, the rules down Ontario. here. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, you know what? I think that's like a four podcasts all on its own for that conversation. Right. But yeah, we are. We're When we first started, it was, you know, Everybody was looking at the U.S. saying somebody's got to do something. Now we're saying, man, we wish we can have the rollout of vaccines and stuff like you guys have. But so since the beginning of time, so since the beginning of my 27 years in this industry now, there's been a major, major, major gap in the sales training. Companies, brokerages, asset-based companies, salespeople are the fuel that goes in the engine. The engine is the operations team. And there's a lot of focus on most companies that I've worked with with operations, right? Because obviously we bring a customer and we want to keep that customer. But there's a big gap in our industry in sales and a big gap. The industry of our sales is the processes, the strategy, the psychology, like we're going to talk about right. today. And there's a huge gap. I mean, right. even today, salespeople that come into the industry, there's very, very few companies that focus on training their salespeople. And I realized after speaking to a lot of owners and speaking to a lot of salespeople, it's that fear that, well, I train them and somebody, they're going to go work for somebody else, right? There's right. that paranoia almost, right. which I look at it both ways. And, and, you know, you could look back, we've talked about many different influencers in our lives and Zig Ziglar, where he says, okay, well, you can either, you know, for, I mean, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but you know, you can have an untrained salesperson that works for you forever to never achieve the results that you or them really right. want to achieve. Or you can have a fully trained salesperson that works for you to right. achieve results. Which one do you want? Right. And if you're going to start training and developing people, there's that raises the bar on, am I going to keep them? So, you know, I've always used the term recruit, train and retain. And <laughs> you don't want to recruit great people, train them just the way you want them and then lose them. But yes, um, it's also a little bit of fact of life. So you have to figure out um, that, yeah. that dynamic. You mentioned something that I think is always interesting. You mentioned operations, then you mentioned salespeople. When I'm an ops guy originally. I'm from automotive and then you're operations. the best salesperson on the planet. Right. So when you're an operations guy, you get in the mode of you're always trying to reduce cost. You're always trying to reduce risk, whether it's delivery risk, supply risk, whatever it is, there's always a risk that you're concerned with. Operations people are not optimistic. <laughs> you never get to be the head of manufacturing or the head of engineering or the head of logistics by being optimistic. You get there by constantly saying, prove it. Dan, I don't believe you. Prove it. Show me the data. Show me the data. And the, it's interesting. Salespeople, we come from a little different perspective. We come, we are optimistic. We tend to go, hey, yeah, don't worry, Dan. I'm going to figure that out for you. And you as the ops guy go, mm, I don't believe you. <laughs> so been it's, there, it's, seen it's, that. Never right, happened. Right. So it's interesting. So this, and that's an important part of the psychology that we're going to talk about here is that we as, if you're selling, you are talking to an ops person who concerns themselves almost daily with reducing risk Very well and put. reducing cost. And you you got to find a way to get on their level. And again, the happy-go-lucky, I shouldn't say happy-go-lucky, the optimistic vision that salespeople bring isn't always appreciated. It's just, it, it's a disconnect because they're like, yeah, I get your optimism, but yeah. I want it to be based mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. proof, data, show me. Anyway, that brings us to the topic today, which is the psychology of logistic sales with my buddy, Dan Deegan. So, Dan, talk about the first topic here. Why do we need to concern ourselves with the psychology of logistic sales? 
Well, the big part that I see in kind of number one, if, if we're going to categorize it in kind of the top three, which we'll talk about today, right. number one is, you know, technical, being that expert in your field, having that niche is awesome. I think you need it, yep. but it's not even close to enough. Like we have to understand as sales reps, why people buy, like what is the baseline reason why people buy, right? right? And a lot of the times, as we've discussed, it's irrational why we buy right. and we justify it after the right. fact. Right. So you can have all the technical stuff in the world and you can understand, you know, I've often said we've got like kind of three kind of experts, right? We've got commodity driven experts that are an expert in a certain commodity, a certain industry or a certain geographical region, right? right? So if you love mining and you know everything there is to know about mining and the equipment and how it moves, your niche right. is mining. If you want to do a geographical, you better know everything there is about California, what ships, what's the biggest GDP out there, all that. And so you can kind of mold those into the section. But if that's all you come to the table with, it's kind of like trying to have a real in-depth creative conversation with like an accountant who, right. who just can't most, sorry, I shouldn't generalize like right. that, but, but when know, they're wearing you, their accountant hat, they're not, when they're, wearing not, their, or they're trying not trying to, to be your, creative <laughs> Yeah, or trying to go to your lawyer and say, Hey, can I get a freebie here? You know, right, right, do me a right. favor. It just doesn't work. And so realizing that psychological end of right. Why we buy, right? Like, what are some of those triggers, right? That get us thinking in a different way, right? And you know, when we were prepping for this, we talked about this, and and then I really would challenge anyone listening: if you don't believe that people buy for irrational reasons, next time you're at the grocery store, next time you're at Home Depot, next time you go anywhere shopping, think about why you bought what you bought. And it's funny because when you're walking down that grocery aisle, we all buy stuff, but and you're gonna spend. You know, depending on your family is 50, 100, 200 bucks, whatever it is. And there is irrational decisions being made. And it's funny because I was just saying to Dan, you might get go, oh, I'm going to buy this relish. I'll buy just the store brand, the generic, because who cares? Relish is relish. And then you go, oh, but I got to buy Heinz ketchup because that's the best one. Or is that just what I've heard the advertisements for the last 50 years, right? And we walk around and make these purchase decisions. And then price-wise, if I look and I go, uh, yeah, I'm going to buy the expensive mustard. Why? Because I think it's better. I don't know that it's better. I don't even, you know, I'll give it not even a conscious thought. I just mm -hmm. pick it up and I yeah. walk away with it. Mm -hmm. And those are very minor decisions. So you say, yeah, I don't care. Well, who cares if I buy generic or not? But what ends up happening when we're talking about bigger sales, like the one we're talking about, they're buying a lot of times based on, I like Dan. I trust Dan. He's saying some of the right things. I get the sense that he's the right guy. But they aren't going and saying, here's all the technical aspects and they line up exactly. It's more likely they're buying because they know, like, and trust you. And they get the sense that you're not going to hurt them. You're not going to make them look like a failure. <laughs> yep, 100%. And then later on, they'll go back and say, and by the way, it could very easily and very likely be the right choice, but for the wrong reasons. So they 100%. said- 100%. I was talking to Dan and I just got a sense that this guy cares about his customers. I get the sense he's been in this business. He knows this stuff. He'll take care of me. And then when you got to justify it to your boss, you don't say, yeah, the boss says, hey, why'd you buy from Dan Deacon? You go, you know, I know him and I like him and I trust him. They're like, get out of my office. You're fired, right? Yeah. Nope. You yeah. have to be able at that point, switch. I might have bought irrationally, even if I can't admit it to myself. There's irrational things that went through my... 
But when I'm talking to my boss, I say, well, the reason I bought for Dan Deegan, and then you'll start taking off the business reasons, right? And that your boss is looking for. Very rational. You know so the, bo- so the boss is sure. good. Glad you're being rational. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what we tend to do. All the time. I mean, you know, we talked about that whole midlife crisis kind of scenario where most people put it as, oh, that guy just bought a Corvette because it's a midlife crisis. Well, have you ever thought about the fact that maybe he was only able to afford his dream car (laughs) at 45 or 50? Right. I mean, and again, we could, I mean, the whole podcast could be based on technical versus the psychology of why people buy and the rationalists that they buy. It's just understanding that baseline. Right. And it's interesting. So if you should go in to see somebody and you're talking to them about their logistics, and so let's just say they spend a couple million dollars a year, they say, Dan, thanks for coming in. And you start asking questions of them, say, hey, well, you know, tell me about the current situation. Tell me about your current problems. The guy's not going to start or the gal's not going to start by saying, well, I'm in trouble. First off, my boss is <laughs> exactly. angry. Yep. I have failed and I'm concerned I that I could lose my, I, I'm <laughs> concerned I'm going to lose my job. I'm also concerned I might not get my bonus. My wife is already angry with me. God forbid I lose my job. None of that comes out, but that's all in there. That's all behind the scenes. Those influence buying decisions. Or the guy might be saying, look, I was brought in to clean up this mess, and I am the high flyer here, but I don't know anything about logistics. Now I'm here to fix it. My hope is in 18 months, I'm at the next level, and I want you to help me get there. No, that's never the thing they say, but that's Mm -hmm. in their mind. And it might be more important than anything else that they get the sense that I'm buying from Dan because I get the sense he's going to solve these problems and put me at that job. I trust him. Yeah, Yeah. 100%. You know, Joe, the baseline of everything that we decide on is status. It really is. I mean, when you break it down to the bare minimum, It's two things, survival and status. So is Joe and everything Joe can do and everything Joe has said, motioned towards or initiated, does that raise my status in the company or lower it? Where am I if survival is like just humans in general at a very bare primitive level? It's all about survival. That's why we take jobs that might pay us more. A lot of the times people take those jobs disliking it but they'll take it because it it increases their chances of survival. So when we're dealing with traffic managers, there's really, I mean, some core concepts. We as salespeople, mandatory, I say, mandatory that we know. One, it's a very visual decision. So if we come in and they make that decision because we've fed them all the information, quote unquote, they want to make the decision, right? We've touched all the buttons. They go and make a decision and we completely for lack of a better term, screw the pooch or mess it up horribly. It's a very visual decision. And so for all of you sales reps out there, think of how many times your prospect has made that decision and it's backfired. Right, right. Yeah, that's another thing they don't ever talk about is I've already been hurt before on this and I'm walking wounded. Please don't, Mm -hmm. please don't make it worse. You know, it's interesting. I spent a lot of time doing business in China and Thailand in, in the 90s. And I remember sometimes there's communication breakdowns where they and they would say, well, somebody would not tell you what they were supposed to tell you. And then I'd say, well, why don't you just tell me? And they said, I don't want to lose face. And they say, so there's this whole thing of not losing face. And I was like, meaning I don't want to yeah, my reputation, my, my integrity. You know? And right. And it occurred to me then was like, 
oh yeah, none of us yeah. want to lose face. And uh, and I remember kind of saying to people, I was like, yeah, but we're all working together. And it wasn't as they were trying to be dishonest. That wasn't the point. It was just like, we're in a big meeting and I didn't want to admit that I didn't do what I was supposed to do. So I said I did. And, and But now how much does that tarnish their image and credibility for the next time a decision needs to come well, And again, that's the cultural issue that, that, that it's normal there. And that's the breakdown here is, you know, mm-hmm. hey, you got to trust me. We got to open up to each other. And again, we don't want to open up with someone we don't know or like or trust. And if I don't want to open up to Dan that, hey, by the way, don't screw me on this because I'm going to lose my job. I don't want to say that to you unless I really get the sense I can trust you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to your point, technical knowledge is mandatory. You have to have it. And you have to understand your systems. You have to understand this. So there's knowledge, there's skills. You have to get all this stuff. You have to know it yep. really well, like the back of your hand. You have to understand their pain points. You have to understand all the reasons they're buying, but also recognize that they're buying potentially for a lot of very irrational reasons. And a lot of those reasons will come down to that no like trust factor. Yep, 100%. And, you know, we talked a little bit about offline, about sales that we did not make because of, again, I'll talk about somebody I've worked with in the past who I thought, oh my God, we had this great meeting, but there was some awkwardness in it. And then they didn't buy from us. And I was thinking there is a good reason they should have bought for us. But I think that when we walked away, they said, those guys don't work for me. Of course, I'm blaming it on my partner who's not here. (laughs) But back then I remember thinking, what went wrong here? I mean, we're going to save them this money. We're bringing them a system they don't have. I don't understand. It all was right. And then the more I kind of racked my brain, it was, yeah, there's a a little awkwardness in there. There's a little bit Mm -hmm. of not connecting. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem. Well, I often, I'm so happy you brought that up because if we understand the psychology of what makes us congruent with people, right? Um, I often say, think of it like a party, right? Imagine a party where the doors open and everybody flies in at once. At the first part of the party, everybody's kind of congregated in one big group. But you'll see very quickly, these small pods will start separating for whatever reason. And those pods separate because of congruency. They start talking similar languages. If, if you're at a party and everybody on one side, you know, you talk, you were a drafter at one point. I was never a drafter. I'm going to stand in that party. It was that, a drafter, like a designer. Yeah. Yeah, a designer. So if we were at a party and you broke off with a group that was doing that, I might walk into the group, kind of listen for a bit. I might be able to add two cents or, hey, this is very interesting. Tell me more. But I can almost guarantee you I won't be in that group for two hours, right? right? I'll transition to that group that maybe is talking about sales even, or even maybe the talking about and personal designers. development. Exactly. So even the draftsmen and designers would want to get out of that. We'll be, yeah, they'll be getting out of there quickly too. But, you know, us as sales reps, one of the big things I see and one of the major downfalls as us as sales reps is so many of us don't fully understand who our ideal customer is. Like, who are we really going to get along with? You know, like, I'll, I'll use you and I for an example. You and I had close to an hour and a half conversation before we even decided if we were going to be on each other's podcasts because we need to understand the congruency. So we're going to invest that time. Whereas so many salespeople jump in and they're like, blah, 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 blah. Oh, you know what? I got the perfect solution for you. And the person's going, whoa, 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 whoa. Right. You're, just, you're jumping too many right. steps in the sales process, in the sales sequencing, if you right. will. And that 
has, I mean, I gave you a story, Mr. Safety Shoes offline for seven, eight months. I connected with this lady and connected. Finally, she said, yes, I'll come. And immediately I jumped down. And, and so we've already established the sales process. We've landed, quote unquote, landed the customer. She's ready to give us business. And immediately, my friends, I jumped down her throat saying, hey, can you come in and speak to my people? And she went, whoa, click right. and never returned another phone call, right. nothing, because I jumped sequences. But so we that's, do it so often. So you talked about this phases of the relationship. Get into more yes. detail on that. Okay. So I love speaking about this because I think it just, the light bulbs start going off. And as Oprah says, the aha moments just start kicking right. in, right? So there's three, you know, from a 50,000 foot level, depending on what you Google, you'll find 14 phases of relationships. But really from the highest archy, there's three levels. Okay. So we've got curiosity, enlightenment, and commitment. So when you make a sales call, the first thing we do is that curiosity. If the person's not curious, if they're not interested, you know, hey, I've got great trucks in your area. Great. So does my present supplier. Have a great day. Because the right. last 50 calls they've had for people that have great suppliers in the area, right. when capacity is tight like it is at the time we're recording this, we're at a tight capacity market. Right. You don't really have trucks in the area. You're just feeding me a line of BS that you have trucks in the area. So that's that curiosity piece. We, we hit that curiosity piece and we pique the interest of our prospects. Once we pique the interest, then we say, okay, internally in our head, and we very rarely do it, does a prospect verbalize it, but in their head, they're going, interesting. Okay, you've piqued my interest. Enlighten me on how you're going to help me achieve my goals. Enlighten me on how you're going to help me survive if we go back to the bare basic instincts we have as humans. And then the commitment phase, and this, this enlightenment and commitment phase, is probably the biggest gap in the sales industry. I, I believe in it, every sales industry is we get a commitment, but that commitment isn't necessarily customer. That commitment could be something as I'm I don't have 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I don't have 30 minutes now. Let's set a time up. Right. You, I'll give you data, then come back to me. Here's a couple of lanes, quote them out and then come back to me. But what we do as sales reps, and you and I, like, we had about a 30-minute conversation about this right. one offline. What we do as sales reps, as soon as we get that commitment, we perceive the job is being done. So when we right. call the prospect back or when we re-engage the second time, <laughs> we jump right into the commitment phase instead of going back to enlightenment or right. even going back one step further, back to curiosity, pique the interest again, enlighten, then commit. Yeah, we're trying to rush that relationship along yeah. from, hey, you were curious. And when I'm supposed to be kind of understanding your problems and talking a little bit about my solutions, very little. <laughs> and then getting commitment, commitment to engage, not commitment to work with me. If I'm rushing that along, what I'm also doing and getting, getting back to that first phase is I'm not meeting their expectations in terms of how they felt this should be, how this should be progressing. And how human psychology should progress in order right. to make the sale too, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not getting to know you. I'm not getting, you're rushing this, which again, we talked fear, uncertainty, and doubt, FUD. I've added FUD because I'm not meeting an expectation that they had for this process. And, you know, in every unanswered email, unanswered phone call, every time I show up with two thirds of the information rather than all of it, every time I miss a commitment, I'm putting another hole in that relationship. I'm adding additional FUD, <laughs> fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And you add enough and it just sinks the ship. <laughs> 100%. And, you know, Joe, go back to the prospecting phase. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt, right? We call a customer and the customer says, follow up with me in two months, hypothetically, right? I always operated, well, sorry, I shouldn't say that. That's not true. The last 
seven to eight years of my career in corporate sales, I operated with the fact that that prospect wrote that down. Because if you're uncertain about somebody and you're saying, you know what, you piqued my interest, you enlightened me a bit, but I've been screwed before. Like, and I'm just taking it real cautious. You're going to put out a test. So right now, that's the way I, everything, Joe, we're going to follow up tomorrow. Joe, we're going to do this. Joe, we're going to do that. I operate as if you've written that down, meaning Wednesday at 10 a.m., you'll look at your agenda. You say, Dan's supposed to call me. At 10.05, you'll be like, you're done. Forget about it. Not interested. Because if I can't even count on you to uphold your promises in the prospecting phase, when you get in my wallet, what's going to happen? Right. Right. And it's interesting. I was involved in helping a large shipper select a new supplier. A lot of trucking. North America. And what was interesting is we had a series of meetings. Come visit us at our facility. We'll visit your facility. Then we want this. Then we want that. So there was, let's just say, 10 steps. And each step of the way, you're looking at three or four potential 3PLs carriers that we're going to select. And some that were just did not commit to it. We told them what that we expected, but they didn't commit to it. Oh, I can't go there. I can't visit you in Phoenix. We're like, why not? Uh, it's just, uh, we don't have anyone to go there. And it was a ton of business, <laughs> big, big. And it was interesting because that's all it took. We were like, they don't even want to play our game. They aren't fully committing. And every time you show up with a little less than they expected, every time you don't meet expectations, you're just making that worse. And again, I think this curiosity, enlightenment, and commitment, it's a framework to look at. You know, from the 100%. beginning to the end. And the commitment, you got to hold up your end of the commitment once they've said, okay, I'll engage with you. Let's figure out what we need to do to make a decision. And my job is to get all this information in the right format so you can make a decision. Well, you know, commitment's an interesting thing because when we have a two-way commitment, it actually forges a stronger relationship faster. So I've often shared with sales reps, you know, use the, if I do this, will you do that method? So, okay, Mr. Prospect, you know, hey, okay, Joe, if I get you your costing by tomorrow at say 9 a.m., will you have a chance to look at it by 4 p.m.? You know what, Dan, I won't, but you know what? I'll have a chance to look at it by 10 a.m. Monday. Okay, Joe, why don't we reconnect 10 a.m. Monday? And that way it can help us have the conversation about A, where we're at, B, what the next steps are, and C, hey, are we congruent? Do the people meet? And by doing that and then following up with you, you've now, you're forging a much stronger relationship because you're layering the results. And I'm asking for you from that commitment phase because I've enlightened you. I've piqued your curiosity. I've enlightened you. Now I'm asking you for a commitment. But here's the thing. If I can't get you those rates by 9 a.m. tomorrow and I get you them by 4 p.m. tomorrow, you're immediately, whether you consciously think about it or not, There's doubt in your mind saying, okay, this person said nine. It's not nine. You know, like we look at, I mean, to the point, especially in today's world, you know, you send a text to somebody. If you don't get a reply back in an hour, you're like, what's going on? You know, it's it's interesting. You should say that. So I'm doing a lot of podcasts. I know you do a lot of podcasts. One of the things when you get somebody to say, hey, I'll be And yeah, I'd like to be on your podcast. Sometimes it's very busy people like yourself. And I always say, so when we talked yesterday, I said, hey, I'd like you to be on my podcast. And you said, okay. And I said, how about tomorrow? (laughs) And here's the crazy thing. A lot of times I'm busy. We're all busy. So I'm leaving that meeting, going to the next meeting. I said, Dan, can we just take a minute and let me send the email invitation to you and you get it and accept it. Mm -hmm. And I did this because a lot of times I'll be in bed at night go, I'm supposed to do a podcast with Dan tomorrow, but I didn't send the email with all the information. And now he might not 
And so I always think, do it in the meeting. <laughs> you say, yep, hey, right away. can I send you this email or do it right after? Maybe it's inappropriate to say, sit and wait while I send an email. But we did it yesterday. I said, hey, Dan, give me 30 seconds to send this email. And I did. Because sometimes we're all running so fast. There are emails we don't send. And then to your point, you add a little bit of FUD to the deal already early on. This guy said he would do this. He said he would send me an email and he didn't. Yep. And you know, to that point, Joe, I'd even say if your curiosity and enlightenment is high, every single time you have a conversation with a prospect, you can say, hey, do you mind if I send you an email for Monday at 10 a.m. now? Now, I would suggest you use that very cautiously because one thing I have found in sales is if I send you the rates tomorrow at 9 a.m. in the invite for Monday, I've never had a prospect say I never got the rates because as soon as they accept the invite, you know, they've opened the email and they see the rates or whatever communicate, whatever the promise is, deliver that promise inside the invite to the follow-up call. So we talked about this technical knowledge is mandatory, but not enough because people make, we all make irrational buying decisions. Secondly, talked about this idea of there's kind of a framework for relationships with beginning with curiosity through enlightenment and commitment. You know, I tell you, a lot of different people would have frameworks for the sales process. This is just an interesting way to think about their mindset, right? And again, we're all trying to get to this no like trust. They don't want to be hurt. It's your job as the sales guy throughout this three phases of the relationship, don't add any FUD. <laughs> don't yeah, add 100%. any fear. Don't put any uncertainty in their mind. Don't bring any doubt. <laughs> so your job is to keep the FUD out of this deal. So what's the next one? And this, I think, this is the last thing we wanted to talk about, which is the psychology of logistics sales. The last one that we're going to touch base on today is making your customer the hero. In sales, we want to share with customers all these amazing things we've done for other customers. Right. And in doing so, I mean, so here's the thing, touching on it and then moving on saying, this is how we believe, or is it possible if we do this, what results will you see? And how can you go to your superiors, your bosses, your brass, your top brass? And what would that look like? Like, how would your image credibility and brand be enhanced by that? But so often we're like, oh yeah, we've done that for that customer. We've done that. We were responsible for those results. And what we're doing is we're bringing ourselves into that hero spot as opposed to the guide spot. If you were to climb the tallest mountain, you get a guide that takes you up the mountain. And yes, the guide says, hey, listen, I've been on a hundred ventures. I've gotten everybody up and down. Perfect. You are going to have such a good time by going on this venture. They address it because they you need the credibility. Let's face it, right? There's so, so many people have been kind of, for lack of a better term, messed over by reps because it's, it's about the buck, it's about the buck, it's about the buck. But none of these guides sit there and say, oh yeah, me, 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 me. I'm the one that did it. Because the customer wants to be the hero. Right. It's interesting because we're talking about Donald Miller's story brand book, which, by the way, with this come up, I think, three or four times on my podcast. So it's a book you definitely want to read. And it's very much about marketing. But when you read it with a salesperson's hat on, it absolutely works because he talks about this B Yoda. B Yoda, not Luke Skywalker. So Yoda wasn't looking for the glory. He was looking to say, look, I'm going to help you get there. And us, if we put our sales hat on and say, look, I want to help Dan. I want to help you succeed. I want to help you get that promotion. I want to help you get everything you want in your career. I'm the guide and I'll show you how we have helped other people get there. And I think that's very important. That's why testimonials are so important. That's why customer recommendations are important where you say, hey, Dan, you're just the latest of guys who I'm going to help get there but you're not looking for all the credit. You're just looking and say, look, let me help you. This is what yep. we do. 
100%. We help people take their logistics to the next level. You know, mm-hmm. e-commerce and the shortages has made a lot of us look like amateurs all of a sudden. So mm-hmm. I'm going to help you navigate this crazy time or the mountain analogy you just used. I'm going to help you get to the top of the mountain. And you know what? Even at that, why not drive it straight down somebody's throat? You're the hero, Mr. Customer. Right. I want you to be the hero to your bosses. Right. Our systems, tools, processes, frameworks can guide you. Right. But in the end, you're the one that gets all the fame and glory. Because right. now you're touching base on that status piece that everybody, the baseline of every decision we make is based on right. status. When right. you really drill down to it, the car you buy or don't buy is based on right. status, right? right. You want to buy a Ferrari, you're like, I love Ferrari, da-da. I'm going to buy a Ferrari. And then just before you buy it, you're like, what do my friends think? Right. Well, my friends call me a douche because I'm in a Ferrari. Or, and so it, no matter what, I mean, that goes back to what we had. No matter what, it's this balancing act between status right. and saying, okay, is this going to raise my status, lower my status? Is it going to enhance my image, credibility, and brand? Or is it going to lower it? Or is it going to be lowered for a period of time and then enhanced? And, right. and our brains, I mean, most of the time, we don't even realize it's happening. Right. It's just these thoughts that pop. Again, this is why. When people say, why did somebody buy? Well, because it was the right value proposition. Hmm. Yes, probably was that. But that was the decision was not just made because of rational reasons. It was made mm-hmm. for irrational reasons. And, mm-hmm. and again, we need to look at beyond just the business needs. So get into your customers' goals. What are they trying to achieve, right? Mm-hmm. And we're all trying to achieve something a little different, you know, depending what your organization, your age, all these things. So it's important that we understand these things. But I think everybody wants to be a hero in their own way. Everyone wants that recognition. And it's funny because... In the Donald Miller book, he said, when you go crazy with patting yourself on the back, all of a sudden the guy says, oh, you're the hero, not me, right? I wanted to be the hero. And when you think about like an organization that you're selling to, that traffic manager, that logistics VP, whoever it is, they want their boss to think, yeah, you did a good job. I went out and I found the right logistics or transportation company and I helped the process to pick the right one. And then I implemented them flawlessly or as as close to flawlessly as possible. And now we're succeeding. (laughs) Yep. 100%. You know what Dan and Joe taking a victory lap in the office saying, thank God you picked us because we're brilliant. (laughs) And you know what? A lot of what you just said, when you think about it, goes back to your status, not the customer status, right? So as sales reps, we want to be top dog. We want our bosses to come to us and say, hey, awesome work. We want our team, we want to stop for new people. We want to stop top brass from coming down on us because we're not closing accounts. So what do we do? Customer says, here's the mission. Here's the goal. A, B, C, D. That's what I need. And we say, okay, we could do it. And they say, but I need it for 1100 bucks. And we know we can accomplish A and B for 1100 bucks, but C and D, that's going to be iffy. And what do we do? Well, we need the sale. We need, okay, we're going to do it. And we set ourselves up for massive friction, failure, issues, and tarnishing of our image, credibility, and brand, and our potential long-term customers. Instead of saying, hey, you know what, Mr. Customer? If somebody's giving you that service, I really suggest you stay with them. Because I can give you A and B, but C and D are going to be so difficult. Now, if you give me 1500 bucks, I could do it. And you know what, Mr. Prospect? or Mrs. Prospect, I fully understand. I have not proven myself in the slight. I could give you recommendation after recommendation that shares that I can get this done. Is there something we can do or is this a hard stop? Because 
I can be totally honest with you. I'm not, and again, this is where we go back to making the prospect the hero. I'm not interested in ruining your image, credibility, and brand. I'm not interested in your bosses coming down on you because you decided to use me. I made you all these promises and I can't deliver. I just, I wouldn't do it. Right. I wouldn't want it done to me. I will not do it to you because that's not what I see. Now you are the guide putting yourself in that position saying, hey, you got to split in the road. You take this way, it's going to be problems. I can go this way, but there's going to be a little bit of a commitment. So now you've piqued curiosity because they're saying, wow, nobody's ever spoken to me like that. You've enlightened them on what you can do. And now you're asking for a commitment. Are you willing to take this why in the road? Right, right. You know, it's interesting when we were talking yesterday, this kind of related to all of this. And we're talking about Bernie Madoff. So yes, he was brilliant in his sales pitch in that he would say to people, well, first off, he had this reputation, this brand, if you might call it the brand, that he is a paragon of virtue, right? So he is, everybody sees him as this guy, this guy is no nonsense, honest as the day is long, right? And what he would say to people who would come to him and say, hey, what can you do for me? He'd say, well, I'll tell you what, if you're looking to get rich quick, you've came to the wrong place. If you're looking for market beating gains every year. I'm not your guy. We aren't going to beat the market every year. We're going to do well. We're going to do well. We're going to do better than the market a lot of times, but I'm not going to make you any outrageous promises. And by the way, if you're looking for an outrageous promise, just leave. So he made it real clear that I don't overpromise. And what do we all want from people? Don't overpromise and under deliver. So he's got this virtuous, honest image And then he's telling you something that you go, oh, yeah, I've been scammed scammed before by people who said, you're going to make a fortune. You're going to get rich quick. He's telling me, no, you're not going to get rich. So in a lot of ways, he was this brilliant sales guy. And he was completely dishonest and (laughs) a dirtbag. And it's because he was going against what was happening in the industry at that time, right? Like if we look at the logistics industry, right? So if you go back to... Gosh, you know, 2010, 2011, and you were to say something, but I got capacity, I got trucks in your area all the time, right? They're going to say, oh, okay. You go to 2018 or to even now, and you say, I got trucks in your area all the time. They have heard that time and time and time (laughs) and time again and been screwed over by it. And, you know, I guess we should probably take a step back even further here, Joe, just for one second. The reality is everything we're talking about today, and I know you'll fully agree with me, for all your reps out there, you have a value-driven process. This is not strategy that we're giving you where you can just bring customers in, make a bit of money, and then not deliver on your goods, right? Like, right. like Bernie Madoff had that phrasing, that terminology, right. that sales process where he was delivering on his goods, which is probably why he was the, like, I think at this point, still the largest Ponzi scheme ever because he touched people. But you gotta, like we talked about it earlier, sales brings in the customers, right? So irrationality and emotion in sales brings in the customers. Deliverability keeps them. Right. Yeah. You know, I used to, one of the things I used to do is we're all very tech centric. And I remember when I was selling 3PL services, I sometimes just show up with a one pager of a scorecard that I did for customers. Yeah, I love and this. I'd say, I do this every week. Do you get a report like this every week? And they go, no. And it's a simple, 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 simple scorecard. It had five metrics on it, like on time delivery, who the carrier was, all this. It was super, super simple. You could give it to anybody and they could immediately understand what it was. And they go, I go, this is simple. We do this every week. And for every shipment that's late, for every shipment that fails in any way, 
we explain it on a second page. And they're like, wow. And it's funny because I didn't show them tech. I didn't show them any. I said, we have great TMS and all that. But this is, and it was interesting because it gets back to that deliverability, right? I'm delivering on my promises. And by saying, hey, this is what I'm going to show you every week. And I remember I had customers say, would we have a weekly meeting on that? I was like, yeah, that's what we do every week. (laughs) Anyway, good stuff. So this is the Psychology Logistics Sales with Dan Deegan. So Dan, please summarize this and then we will wrap this bad boy up. So, but yeah, we'll talk sure. a little bit about your biz first. But first, give us a summary on this. So if we were to put this into a very quick 30,000 foot view perspective, just understand sales reps, your customers don't buy you moving freight. They buy something else. And that's the status, the image, credibility, brand, and what you bring to the table to help them look like superstars, that hero to your boss. When we get into sales, let's fully understand the way the brain thinks Don't do what I did for many years and jump steps because you're just going to lose people left, right, Right. and center. And just know, my personal opinion, your number one thing is figure out if you can work long-term because I have seen too many sales reps. I have been down that rabbit hole too many times where something looks awesome. You dedicate so much time, effort, and energy. Most likely your sales has fallen off, meaning your prospecting has fallen off a cliff because you're so busy with a customer. And three months later, the customer finds a cheaper price or something happens. And you lose them and you're right back down to ground zero. So that, and you know, Joe, it's pressure from above a lot of the times and pressure from ourselves. So we're getting pressure from both sides to create that diamond, but we don't pay attention to working with people we know, like, and trust working with people that are going to treat us like a resource. And here's where I come from in transportation. It's the only industry I've ever known besides buffing pewter keychains and construction. Okay. The thing about transportation is we are a resource to our customers to get their product to market. And everything we see has touched a truck. So the vastness and the amount of like opportunity in this industry is better than any industry on the planet. I would fight tooth and nail with anyone that said any different. It is the most amazing industry on the planet. You deserve as a salesperson, you deserve to go to work every day and love what you do. You spend more time with your customers than you probably do with your family. Why not have ones that you enjoy being with? Excellent. Excellent. I like that too. Yeah. It's funny. I remember Warren Buffett said this. Somebody said something about you're supposed to be this rational investor, yet all the people you invest in and all you seem to be friends with virtually all the CEOs. And he said something like, what's the fun in being rich if you have to work with people you don't like? (laughs) And I I don't take that one step further. Mm -hmm. What's the purpose of getting up in the morning when you wake up and you go, oh my God, I got (laughs) to deal with this person again. (laughs) It sucks. My buddy, Matt Collins over at Sunant Interactive, they do a lot of websites for logistics companies. He always says, I only want to be part of good stories. Life is short. I want to be part of good stories. I don't want to be part of bad stories. So if I get the sense that it's going to be a bad story, I don't want to be part of it. And no one, if at the end of this, I'm not going to get a recommendation and a friend, I don't want to do it. He doesn't want to trade his passion for glory. Right. My right. passion is to live a fulfilled life. And so all of us, I think that's our passion. Our passion is to be free. Right now, financially free, free of stress, free of anxiety, free of this. If all we do is bring people into our lives because they're giving us a dollar, but it's adding stress. What does that do for your overall life? You know, yesterday we talked and I I apologize, I'm going off on a tangent. But yesterday we talked about the automotive industry a lot. You know, I worked with NLM for a long time. And over this course, we didn't because I was not honest with them in saying we had 24 hour dispatch. So what I figured is, no, no, no. 
we're going to work this. So what I'll do is I'll work it for two months. We'll show it's profitable. And then after the two months, we'll hire somebody to do 24-hour dispatch. A lot of companies do it that way. I slept in my office here for almost two months straight, not in the bed with my wife, not enjoying cuddling and, and having a chat. Every two hours I was up. Four days before Christmas, I'm in the hospital with pneumonia on Percocets, morphine, all sorts of other things. I almost missed Christmas. When I went back into the office after Christmas, do you know what I found? I did a report, $1,876 in profit in two months with NLM. (laughs) Is that worth my health? Is that worth almost missing Christmas? You know what? How many of us as sales reps have jumped into that exact situation because oh my God, I'm going to put numbers on the board. Right. And I think, Joe, you know, you go even further than that. If you're a company listening to this, just realize the pressure and stress you're putting some of your team under. You know, we talked about training salespeople and then them leaving and all this kind of stuff, right? right? Like we have lost so many awesome salespeople. Right. Because they're just trying to get numbers on the board to meet somebody else's objective that's probably not even anywhere close to them that's just looking at a bloody spreadsheet. Yeah. And I'll say this. I think one of the, I've said this many times on my podcast is we accept bad customers because our prospecting and lead gen is bad, but that's a whole nother topic. But uh, I'm willing to suffer bad customers rather than go do more lead gen or prospecting. You know, (laughs) this guy was willing to talk to me. We're also willing to be in the friend zone with a customer for like a year. Because they're willing to take my calls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> they're never Crazy. buying from me. I would bet if you made me, you a gun to my head and say, yeah, they're never buying from me. But I talk to yeah. them because I, they're willing. Yeah. So before we go, Dan, please tell us a little bit about who you serve and how people can reach out and talk to you about what you do and how you help sales so, guys and companies grow their sales. So we serve the logistics industry as a whole in strictly a sales process. So what do I mean by that? Operations is sales. Sales is sales. Management is sales. Our strategy and processes have taken 27 years to perfect how I've gone through it. I've interviewed the top players in the industry across multiple categories, created strategies and processes. Our goal, our mission is to help 10,000 sales reps generate a million dollars GP because I truly believe in this industry. It doesn't matter your skill level right now a simple few tweaks here and there, a different perspective and a shift in the processes and sales sequences equal massive results for you. So if you're in the industry, if you're finding there's any gaps in your sales, get a hold of me at www.dandegan.com or info at dandegan.com. Let's have a chat because I've got a program that I know will help you. Yep. And for the first 15 to 17 years of my life, I was band-aiding everything. I was using duct tape instead of fiber fix, right? I had these small pieces and this worked and this failed and this worked and this failed. After 27 years of putting it all together, I found the formulas that work, that really connect with ethical, moral, and conscious people that know we as sales reps in the logistics industry are a resource. We're not a commodity. And when you're treated like a commodity, you're second tier. When you're a resource, you're a true partner. And that's my mission for this industry is forget the crap about being a commodity. It's enough. We need true partnerships in this industry. If you're a broker, you need true partnerships with your suppliers more than your customers because you can sell all you want. You don't have the right people to move it. You're done. Right, right. So what I'll do, Dan, is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and link to your company website, and we'll put that in the show notes so anyone can reach out. And yeah, this is good stuff. I really do appreciate you. Oh, before we go, so you have a conference coming up? 
Yes. So we've put together, it was actually March 21st, 2020, and we had to, Ontario shut down two weeks before the conference, but it's called the High Performance Logistics Sales Summit. And the conference is in November, November 21st in Mississauga. We are actually streaming it live as well for those that can't actually come to Canada and attend it. And it is the only conference specifically dedicated to sales reps. Last year, we had nine customers come in. Their freight spend ranged from $100,000 to $9 million a year. And what we do is the whole conference is based in pods, an hour and a half session. And for an hour and a half, everybody that was on the conference was able to ask customers questions and get the real answers. You know, we talked about it quite a bit in this podcast, Joe. A lot of the times you're asking questions at a prospect and they're not giving you the real answer because they're trying to protect their job. These people gave us the real answer. And you got to see the difference between what does a $100,000 freight spend customer want? And what does a $9 million freight spend customer want? And I can tell you the panels that we had, we had a customer panel, we had a logistics panel, we had an asset-based panel, and we had an industry expert panel where experts from FreightWaves, from DAT, from all over the globe came in and shared their information, shared how data is the new oil and all this kind of stuff. Mr. Dean Crook, love you, man. And so we had all these panels because all of them directly relate to sales. So it's an entire day dedicated to the sales rep because we (laughs) get the least support in the industry, in my opinion. Right. And Mississauga is right outside Toronto, right? Yep. 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 Just north of Toronto. Yeah. And our good friend Joe's coming for everybody that's uh, (laughs) listening to this. Joe's going to be on the panel, whether he's virtual or in person, Joe's going to be there. I was going to say, so that's November, right? Is that what you said? Yes. November 21st. Yeah. Yeah, that's might be traveling then, but I would like to attend for sure because it it is interesting. I like the focus on, I like what you said about having actual shippers there because one of the things I've said, this has come up on my podcast a lot is we all say, you really need to understand the shipper. You need to understand the shipper. So go ask them why you buy. And I remember I did this. I took my own stupid advice (laughs) and I asked some of my customers, why buy from me? And they're like, um, good service, I guess, and good pricing. And it's funny because it was, I asked them the question, but I really didn't get, it was really, you know, an inch deep. I didn't really get the full. So today we talked about kind of these motives that are behind the scenes. And I think we all need more time picking the brain of our customers. So I love the fact yep. that you've got customers there, big shippers. So we all need to know better. Well, and you know what? And they're not shy with giving up the information. You know, like, and I'll share one thing with you that actually blew the mind of a lot of salespeople there, just because I think it'll add value to your listeners. All of the nine individual customers that were there said, when we do a bid package, we actually look. And if you bid on 70 lanes and you have 10 trucks, we disqualify you immediately (laughs) because there's no way you could take 70 lanes at 2,200 loads a year with 10 trucks. Right. And so all of us that do this carpet bombing or just say, you know, quote on as much as you can and you'll get one or two customers these days, it was very, very clear. Show me what you're awesome at and let's talk about it. Don't give me the gray area. Have a laser focus and let's concentrate on that laser focus. Right. Very, very clear. Whether it's a lane or a geography or industry, right? Focus on it and be the best at that piece. Yes, exactly. I love it. I love it. Dan, thank you so Thanks, much. Joe. I really do appreciate you taking the time. You are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to sales in this business. Oh, thank you. Yep. Thank you. You know what? I'm looking forward to 
working closer with you. And I'm looking forward to having you on my podcast. And yes, I, I would do it. The start of a really great relationship. <laughs> I, I love thank it. You. I really appreciate you inviting me and being here and giving me the honor of, of speaking with your community. Thank you. Thank you so much. And yeah, I look forward to being on your podcast. And by the way, thank all of you for listening to my podcast, Your Sports. Very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com.